Kubernetes and running more than two Kubernetes on strip server. And one became an atheist, one became an, like a racist, and the other one thinks he's God. And the feminist, and the, whoever she was, our, our wives of these women. <laughs> Something going wrong with the system. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll start. So we're gonna, what I'm going to do is uh, go through from left to right, as they were seen yesterday, um, in terms of the arguments that they made. And uh, then we'll go through each one. Okay, so we'll go through each one, and I'll make some points. Uh, in this instance, I'll be the person who's supposed to be um, uh, representing Casey, and you, you all can um, kind of share whatever issues that you have. So, um, now Maya, she's hiding behind the door there. Come in, Maya. Actually, come to the front. <laughs> This is going to be a running theme, so uh, I'll say here. 
that Christian consciousness, whilst being a universal approach to spirituality, whilst embodying the idea, the notion of every living being being equal and on their journey towards love of God, um, is not agnostic in terms of values and ethics. It is not agnostic because what we see on the left, whilst we may not agree philosophically with everything that others may say, what we see on the left has the potential to be very destructive. And it is for the reason that these things can, certain messages, certain principles, certain ethics that then come from that, if you remember the conversation when we were talking about chance, when you, when you come from a perspective of um, determinism, it can lead to things like the Nazi party. That's, what, that's how these things manifest. So it starts off as a weird philosophy, it manifests as something very destructive in society. That's why Christian consciousness sometimes does take quite a strong stance against philosophical principles which we fundamentally think are harmful to society. And um, so that was the point. That was the, 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 the kind of like the essential point underlying this slightly comical theme yesterday from, from Maesh, that the, the idea that when somebody claims to be in that position, and, and this is not a joke in the sense that there are many, 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 many people. Who's that guy that you guys take from the couch? What's his name? Swami Swami I mean, I don't know if you guys like some of the stuff this guy comes up with, it's like I wish I'd downloaded to show you. I mean, on one side it's hilarious, but on another side, you know what? Children get abused, people get raped, people lose their money. I mean, these are serious things. So on one side we see the picture and we laugh because it's comical. But what is the effect of that? What, what comes from that is, can be very, very serious. Okay, anything, anybody want to say anything about this? Anyone, anyone want to take, like have a, have a go? Yeah, I, I, as in, 
like I said, I don't personally believe that philosophy. The text itself is a little misleading just because it doesn't represent entirely his philosophy. But I, from what I know of Shirdisa, and I don't know him like, extensively, but from what I know, there were no accusations around his character. There were no kind of issues around the type of person he was, what he did for society, etc., etc. So, like, that's okay, right? Like, we, we don't have to, we, not everybody has to agree with everything that we believe in, isn't it? Um, yeah, is that okay? There could be, right? So there could be, but there, it's a different thing to say that, and, and clearly there are statements in scripture about that also, in terms of philosophical. But if you see how Shiloh Prabhupada, Jaitanya Mahaprabhu, Aracharya, etc. dealt with that, it's not like we're going around and, you know, like we can, the way to deal with that is through conversation and debate, right? The way to, the way to deal with, like, on the left is, like, call the police. <laughs> That's the difference. It's like you can debate with somebody on a philosophical principle, and that's fine. The world is full of different kind of points of view. So, anything else? No. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So, can we turn the mic on? This is so. The, the next one was on uh, was uh, um, Billy. Minami Hari playing Billy, uh, who is the racist. Huh? Oh. So in this one, um, we, we, like, it's such an obvious one, um, like, I don't think we have much of a debate on it, but there was one clip that I just had to show you because it's too good, so this is my excuse to show it to you.
They came up to New York, to the north, as many African Americans did in the, in the, the Great Migration, they call it, the 30s and 40s, to find jobs in the north. And they were very suspicious of white people, considering the history of African Americans and that transatlantic slavery and so forth. So they were very skeptical about me joining the temple. But I used to go to the Sunday feast and I'd come back with Prashadam and I'd come back with Holloway and Pakoras and my dad loved them. And when I said, Dad, I'd like to join these, these people, they said that I could join. He said, well, no, 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 I don't know about those people. And then I said, but Papa, they believe God is black. And my father, I, I remember his eyes, he said, what? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Those people? Yeah. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, my uncle called him up because <laughs> my aunt Louise was downtown and she saw me on the Harry Mountain Park. And I remember she just stood there and looked at me like this. <laughs> she, she couldn't even say anything. I just kept dancing. She went home and told my uncle Eddie. My uncle Eddie called my father and he said, Roy, Roy, Louise was downtown and she saw your boy on the corner with those Harry Christmas people. <laughs> Bothering people, handing out candies and magazines and asking them for money. What's going on with that? And they had a bit of discussion and he said, Look, my brother told me that they worship God and they believe that God is black. My uncle Eddie said, What? Those people believe that God is a brother? <laughs>
I decided to get some of the Jones. My father said, yeah, they went to God. God's a brother. Yeah, you can join. <laughs> it's true story. Yeah, you can join because he's black, and we know black is beautiful, so it's good. smile on his face, he goes, I believe you think completely. And I was like, what? And then he said, yeah, I just like to see like how people are going to respond when they ask me <laughs> Stuff uh, which is which is not necessarily you know 
because you may not even know about functioning. Um, so therefore, it's in, I think it's important for us to talk on the point of principle as opposed to on the point of party politics. Um, just like we get politicians going, like, you know, we deal with politicians in this one, like, with regards to kind of, you know, this point came up when Boris Johnson came to the temple and some devotees had an issue with it because we'd invited Boris Johnson to come to the temple and it's like, what's the issue? And it's like, well, he doesn't have the same values as we have. And it's like, huh. you know, devotees don't all have the same political values. There's a spectrum within the devotees as well. And not only that, but we're not inviting him to hear Babaji class from him. You know, we're <laughs> inviting him because he's the prime minister of the country and we should have brought others here and we believe they should have brought others here. So, you know, there's, there's the point about talking about principle. Like, what is the principle that we are either agreeing with or rejecting, as opposed to talking about a specific individual or um, a specific uh, organization or political party or whatever, whatever. What is it that we are disagreeing with? So if somebody asks us to, to agree with or disagree with something with regards to the Black Lives Movement, specific things, we can take a stance on. We, like I said right in the beginning, we are not agnostic about stuff. You know? And can we recognize the fact that uh, African, uh, black people have over the centuries been you know, enslaved and abused? And of course, I mean, I don't think there's debate around that. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff, unfortunately. In the same way that religion is not always pure, in the same way, political movements and material motives are not. You know, that they have, that's cross-contamination going on there too. So let's not be naive about that. Yeah. In regards to the issue of poll tax, um, what's the take on devotees voting? Because there's the argument that if you're voting for a party, then you're supporting what they say. And realistically, neither part, like none of the parties are going to advocate Krishna consciousness due to have issues with a lot of political things that all parties say. Sure. So, and then if the idea is also, and the culture is always like, if you don't vote, then that means you have no say in what the country's doing. And so you're going against the whole principle of the front of democracy. Yeah. So what's the take on devotees voting? So I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think she, I, I can't remember a situation where she brought up made a statement on whether you should vote or not vote. Um, unless anybody even has any reference to that. So. Like where, where there isn't, we know that Shiva Prabhupada did encourage in a couple of instances, I think it was, somebody, one of his disciples to stand for election. Um, one was a mayor, I think, in the US and something else, but there was something. So I don't think, um, from that, I think we can see that Shiva Prabhupada wasn't against devotees engaging in the political system. Uh, specifically with regards to voting or not, I don't, I can't, you know, to engage in the system and against the system, but I, I think that's a, that's also part of, you know, not part of, it's entirely a personal choice, isn't it? So we have to, we have to kind of, some of this stuff we don't have a scripture direction on, and different devotees will feel differently about it. And I think that's part of the point. Not all of these things have a Krishna conscious perspective. You know what I mean? Like some of these things are just material ethical things that we're engaging with. You can understand the Krishna conscious perspectives on both sides of the argument, and at the end of the day, and this is a major point for this session, is that we, individually, can't abdicate our own intelligence and responsibility in decision-making. It's not like, okay, tell me the case the answer to that and I'll do that. It's not always the case. 
Like, there can be two casey arguments on the same thing. I mean, I think this time politics reflects the fact that not everybody is always agreed. Similar thing. We didn't really have to show the clip. So the point is that, because I was really wanting to be able to watch it, but the point is that, um,
This comes straight off, so between verses uh, tw 12 and 25, Krishna is speaking about the soul, right? Giving them all the arguments about the soul, eternal, imperishable, etc., etc., all these different kind of ways to understand the soul. As the introduction spiritual message of the Gita. Then in 26, he says to Arjun, if, however, you think that the soul will always be born and die forever, you still have no reason to lament. So basically, Krishna's saying, if you don't believe what I just told you, in verses 12 to 25, if you don't believe that, that the soul exists, if you believe that the soul doesn't exist and the body is all there is and you just live and die to nothing, then you still have no reason to lament. Now what does that tell you? I mean, this is like, for me, it's like one of the most <laughs> like the shocking verses of the Gita. What does that tell you? Isn't their lamentation in reference to him, like his pain and back pain, his relatives? Yeah, yeah. It's not. Don't worry about that. That that last bit is not. The, he's he's right. basically saying, basically, if you live and die, then what are you worried about? There's no soul anyway, yeah. right? That's the argument, right? So it's like basically, if you don't believe in the soul, if you, you just believe in the chemicals, then don't worry about it. What's it either way, there's nothing to do that. But what's what is surprising about this verse appearing in the Gita? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not what shocked me, but yeah. Exactly. It's like God is saying, if you don't believe in the soul, you've got no reason to lament. So what does that say? What does that tell us? Atheistic philosophy is not a new thing. These guys didn't invent atheism, you know, with Stephen Dawkins and company. The idea of atheism was existing thousands of years ago. It's not that a primitive culture accepted God and rejected atheism. I mean, sorry, uh, accepted God because they hadn't thought of atheism. They'd already gone through the process of atheism. Now, the second, second example of this. Christians lifting God down hill. Remember the story? So uh, for those of you who are not fully aware of the story, I'll just tell you the intro, of the, the, the scene setting part of it. Krishna's in Vrindavan. He sees his father and the cowherd, cowherd men of Vrindavan. They're preparing the worship of Indra. So Krishna says, Father, tell me what are you doing? So then the Maharaj starts explaining. Krishna, there's Indra. He's the king of, the, king of heaven. He sends the rains. We live on the land agricultural society, we depend on Indra to send the rains. If the rains don't come, you know, what will we do, etc., etc., etc. We have to appease Indra. What does Krishna say? Huh? Don't worship. Okay, don't worship. Why? Why don't worship, Why don't worship Indra? All you have to do is your duty, your yagya, your this or that. 
and Inder is compelled to provide the results. Now, if Inder is compelled to provide the results, what does that mean? If Inder has to provide the results, he doesn't have a choice, what does that mean? He's not in charge. Who's in charge? Huh? Let him, like, keep the bingo wise. He's basically saying the system, the, si the universal system, operates on these laws. The law is of action and reaction. The physical laws, you know, like, which uh, physical means metaphysical also, but like the idea that we are talking about reactionary laws. You do an action, somebody has to, there's a reaction coming, you don't have to pray for it. reciprocal, right? It's action-reaction. So like Madhuri was saying, it's an atheistic argument. Krishna is making an atheistic argument to his father of why not to worship Bhagavan What does that tell you? What does Nanda Maharaj do? What's the result? What does Nanda Maharaj do? Huh? He listens. Why does he listen to Krishna? Does he believe Krishna's argument? Huh? Yes, no? No. What is he why does he why does he go along with Krishna? He loves him, but uh, yes he loves him, but in the mood of just a kid. What does he know? Five, six year old kid, well, I can't remember how old he but you know, six, seven years old kid. What does he know? But we love him, so just to appease him, we'll carry on. What does that tell you about the story? Like, what does that tell you about the intelligence and the knowledge of the residents of Vrindavan? They did, it's not like they didn't know about the theory of Karma Memamsha. It's not like they didn't have already thought about physical laws entirely beyond God running the universe. They already had that within scope. You understand? Krishna already had that within scope when he spoke the Gita. But what they said was, these are just like childish arguments. Let's move on. Childish arguments. So these arguments which appear to us ever fresh, new, you know, like, oh, the atheists have said something amazing, like, you know, they made such a powerful argument. These were observed, reflected upon, re re rejected by, um, by, But the idea being that this is not new stuff. This is not new stuff. This has been existing for many, many, many millennia, after millennia. And um, uh, the idea that all of a sudden we have to believe that Krishna must be God because, you know, <laughs> we just rejected, uh, sorry, we just found something unusual and started to worship it as if we're some, you know, tribe out of like, you know, without any education or culture or history. It's just a complete nonsense. Okay. Uh, any um, uh, questions or arguments on behalf of the atheists? Yeah. Two points. Would they? Might, might they say that? 
then we should be able to prove it. Yeah? And uh, prove it in a way that's self-evident to everyone. Isn't it? Okay. Yeah, go on. Is that related to this? Not that's a, that's respond to this, but one of the ways that I think is just, it came up actually, somebody made the point that, you know, you can't, you can't, everything that's real is not provable by science. So, like, things that are, things, science has a domain of knowledge. That domain of knowledge, for example, you can't prove philosophical truth. You can't prove purpose. You can't prove so many things, right? So the science has a domain of knowledge. The problem is, there's a term called scientism, right? And scientism is where things take the cloak of science, pretend to be science, but have nothing to do with science. And the thing is that if we look at what is the domain of science, it's not that science does not have the domain of everything. It's not like. Science rules the world. It doesn't rule art. 
It doesn't rule psychology. It does, you know, like, it's not, science is not like the be-all and end-all, but that's the way it's positioned through scientism. And the fact is that you don't like, there's, even in science you have to, it's not like there is a, we know that there's a process, there's an issue. It's like, I don't take a microscope and try and measure temperature, isn't it? You can't say like, well, it's a scientific instrument, temperature is a scientific reading, tell me the temperature. There's an instrument to measure temperature, and that's a thermometer. If you want to measure a temperature, don't use a, don't use a microscope, because you know what? It's not going to work. So like for every single application, every single um, discipline of knowledge, there are certain rules that govern that discipline. You can't just make it up. You, see, you, can't, you can't just say like, okay, you know, even in maths and physics and chemistry, even in the hard sciences, you can't just cross over. There are like, there are rules within disciplines. So like, it's not just a, like a free fall, and so I'll, I'll come to, and if it's related to this one, yeah? So like, we have to, we have to be clear. Like, yes, Christian consciousness, the path towards understanding, realizing God, understanding, realizing spirituality, these things are, um, uh, these things have a process to understand. And even from a, like a, a much more rudimentary level, that's why the, the verses of, uh, the Gita, particularly in chapter 2, Krishna's making such such reasonable points that we experience ourselves in our life that we can't deny. They're real. And we see it in our life, we see it in other people's life. How do you explain that? If not through at least acknowledging the re reasonableness of a spiritual reality. How do you explain consciousness? How do you explain continual identity? How do you explain these different kind of things going on, like without referring to something else other than science? Because science doesn't have the answer to that. So I'll, I'll come back to further follow-ons. I'll just go here and then here if it's related, and then come back to evolution. Okay, go on. Would you say that <coughs> evolution is very loosely linked to the lines that Jesus goes through in Hinduism um, in order to reach the uh, the other bodies that we go through? Okay, hold that point, because that's, that's related to evolution. Okay, you have a point on this um, one. It also depends what you want to take as the experiment. The fact you opened your eyes this morning is proof. So, like, there's thousands of proofs. It just depends what you want to take as the experiment. So, say that, like, proof of what? That, like, there's something higher. Because you couldn't die in your sleep. So, uh, like, okay. the fact that things happen, like, as a miracle all the time. Again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's trying to distinguish this point that we sometimes get overwhelmed by this word science because we think it means something that it actually doesn't mean. We think it means all of knowledge is science. It's just not true. All of knowledge is not science. And science has a specific domain. And when science moves into philosophy, you have a problem because that becomes scientism. That's not proper science. So when science starts, uh, that was why I kept harping on about this point about chance. Chance is a philosophical term. It's not a scientific term. Stop using it in that context. If you're a scientist, stop using it. Because you're basically, you're misleading people. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's, the, the argument is framed in such a way, and because like the whole kind of, unfortunately, the, 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 the real scientists, like really kind of very, 
high-ranking, very experienced, uh, accomplished scientists, they understand this, most of them. And so you get statements and quotes by very elevated and um, about consciousness and our inability to explain it. They're honest about it because they're truly scientific. They can say, okay, we don't understand consciousness. Fine, at least that's honest. At least, it's the, at least that's kind of part of the, whereas when we get to this thing where it's like everything science and it's not provable in this way and it's nonsense. Okay, we're gonna come on to evolution. Uh, so, <laughs> I think it was Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati who referred to Jaja Goswami's Dashavatar uh, Stotra as kind of like saying, um, like having some oblique reference to uh, like evolution. Um, this idea that the Dashavatar Stotra goes from, help me out, uh, so Matsya the fish, Kurma the tortoise, what's your Kurma? Okay, and then onto the human kind of forms. Interesting. So, like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said about evolution. Like, first of all, the idea that this notion of evolution through species. I mean, the Vedas talk about 8.4 million species. Now, where do they get 8.4 million species from? Like they talk about classifications within those 8.4 million and how the soul transmigrates through those species, upwards, through a chain. And talks about the human humanoid kind of platform as being the, the kind of, you know, at the top of that hierarchy. So like even this notion of like this is a new idea, I mean not really. And, and, and the stuff that, the, the mechanism that underpins that. So science may come up with certain, I'm not saying that science has done nothing or has nothing to offer. I'm talking specifically about offering insight into the point around God does not exist and the creation of the universe. It hasn't offered anything with regards to that. It may offer insight into mechanism. It may offer insight into so many things, but that doesn't, what's that got to do with the fact that you still haven't answered the question? Life comes from life, not from matter, unless you show me otherwise. And your your point was similar, right? Like about this. Yeah, uh, with control though. So there are some like if Jesus has to free will, like for instance, free Jesus in the first place, and Jesus was the same as well because all the time it's Jesus that the gods are the ones that have had the free will and are able to make something. Well, yes and no. Humans doesn't mean that when you get to the human platform, you can't fall back down to an animal platform. It's a cycle, samsara, right? So like it's going around. So if you, the human platform is a platform from which you can get out, but there's a high degree that you have a high chance that people are going to leave that platform. Okay, anything on atheism? Specifically thinking about atheists here? Yeah. Um, 
so let, I'm just trying to understand the premise. Why, why, why do you say if God is compelled to help atheists as well, opposed to anyone else? consciousness has been adapting to time-based circumstance. There are also essential principles that underpin Christian consciousness that don't change. So there are two things going on in, in many, well, in Christian consciousness at least. There are two things going on. One is what is eternal, what is essential and kind of never changing, and what is adaptable to time-based circumstance. But there's no problem with that. Like, there's, no, there's no contradiction there. Is there? Like, you know, no, like, like, if an atheist wants to make the argument that because it's changing, then therefore it can't be true. But the point is that the essential principles are not changing. They are eternal. And that's why we call it Sanatan Dharma. Sanatan means eternal. It's the eternal nature and the eternal occupation of the soul. Is to what? It's to love God. Mm-hmm. 
Manifestations of religion, deities, art, etc., reflect different cultural, uh, geographic, um, you know, distinctions. So yeah. Please. I just had a question about, about that incarnation that you're in India. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so we'll do the, the anthropomorphic one first. Um, so yeah. Um, try and respond to that on a uh, on the level at which the person who's asking the question is coming from. Because it, the, the, the question is coming with a set of premises behind it. So like, let's take the premise. So if we remove that premise just for the, for the sake of argument. If we take the premise that God exists. Now if God exists and <clears throat> he want, and he wishes to be worshipped in deity form. If we take that as a starting point. Then how that deity manifests through art, through distinctions because a the, the form is carved by humans, the, the, the temples are created by humans and therefore they, the, it's not that the deity is ever going to be representing like it, it, that, would, it, that it would ever be able to represent, right, the divinity so the fact that there are distinctions, cultural similarities, uh, sorry distinctions, cross-culture um, geographic kind of specializations almost. I, I honestly, I don't see how that, um, I don't see how that indicates in any way that God doesn't exist. It, it, do, it doesn't indicate that we have, that we, that, so for example, if we take it from the perspective of, um, uh, of a principle, like um, everything that we eat, we offer to Krishna. So naturally, somebody in one country will offer something. The food is grown in a certain way in that country, and they'll offer it, and that will be different from another country. But that's, that's, that doesn't mean that. Um, it doesn't say anything about the underlying reality. It just says something about the way that we're engaging with the material energy in our way to worship God. I read the Gita in Chinese, you read it in Spanish, somebody else reads it in English. It doesn't mean that the Gita is different. It just means that the manifestation, the expression of that is different. But, but that, is that something that I'm not well, catching? It's just that, like, for example, we take the deity in a very absolute way that this is Krishna. Yeah. So, no, but at the same time, you're saying that, yeah, it's, it's, it's Krishna. Just like the Gita is Krishna in Chinese and the Gita is Krishna in English. Because Krishna is, is, is in, isn't it? Like, every atom Krishna is there. So wherever Krishna, so if we take the premise that Krishna exists, he's in every atom. He can manifest wherever he wants, isn't it? Like so, whether the, whether the if the child paints the deity in the same country as their parents, that doesn't look exactly the same as the one the parent painted, doesn't mean that Krishna can, can't manifest in both. So that's why I think it's a it's a because I've heard the I've heard responses to that question which go down the route of anthropomorphism, trying to argue it in a with a different with that premise. But if you don't 
if you don't, I mean, if the premise is wrong, the whole argument's gonna flow. So, and, and um, why, why in India? Um, yeah, why in India? So, I think uh, it's not always in India, but at least on, on planet Earth, it seems to be <laughs> focused on India. But we see incarnations traversing different, um, and actually, I don't know if this is true, but um, after the separation of India and Pakistan and Afghanistan also, it may not always be in India. Um, some of them may have been in Pakistan. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, what I mean is geographical boundaries, you see, like the thing is that um, geographical boundaries are always changing, like we know that country flags change. So, um, so land boundaries are not the distinction, but there is, there is a focus on this central kind of area where we do see that kind of, um, but again, if we look at it, if we look at it from the perspective of where Krishna decides to descend, Bhaktivinoda Thakur actually refers to this point, um, and he says the reason why is because this is the land where Varnashan Dharma was always practiced, has always practiced. So, um, there is something about this region which has something which for eternity has held the, the Vedic culture manifested in Varnashan Dharma. So, but again, there's nothing, you see what I mean? Like there's, I can see why it may feel like oh, there's a bit of a coincidence, but there's nothing, but there's so many things that are coincidence, right? Like if you look at like that book Harmony by Prince Charles, I mean, they're drawing out all the coincidences within the universe, like things like, what's the sequence? Fibonacci. Fibonacci sequence, or like where you see it manifest in the universe in different ways, you think, why is the sequence? It's like, what's the coincidence there? Why is there so much coincidence? Well, the universe is full of coincidences. But what's the philosophical premise you have a problem with? There's no, there's no technical problem with it. Um, similar to the Shakti's argument yesterday, um, this point that God can take any form, um, especially kind of in relation to the deity, yeah. um, that seems quite risky. Given if everything can be Krishna, Krishna can come in any form. Yeah. Then Krishna can come. Then yeah. That's, then nothing. Yeah. schools and it was about this subject she was speaking about Christians everywhere and like you know um, and I think it was you know, seven eight year old kid asked the question um, like if Christians everywhere can I worship the pencil <laughs> <laughs> so like again these are not in, these are not like high intelligent questions the seven eight year old is also asking so like it's not like these questions weren't asked centuries ago millennia ago you know what I mean like the Vedic system did and Please, uh, I wanted to show you some, uh, hopefully at some point we'll get onto it about the Vedic references to facts, which are, you know, we had Sukhubhu's slides on the mantras. I want to show you some stuff about the speed of light, about mantras and the, you know, the figure, the number pi to so many decimal points. Like the Vedic people are not stupid people, isn't it? Like we've been told, and it's true. One thing that Vrindavan Vyari said yesterday was true, like when he said, you know, for centuries you've been slaves. And for centuries, the Vedic culture has been framed as a stupid, primitive, naive, blah, 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 culture, philosophy, whatever. It's about time we decide, like, seeing for ourselves what it is. 
And the fact is that the Vedic culture and knowledge, like right now, just uh, the other, I don't know, some uh, James from Cambridge sent us this book, right? It's about how medical science has now come to this amazing breakthrough. Amazing breakthrough that's going to fix everyone's problems, medical problems. You know what breakthrough is? Your health resides in your gut. In your gut flora, that's where your health resides. Not just your physical health, your mental health too. What's Ayurveda say? Now all of a sudden, it's true. Why? Because the doctor said. Because Ayurveda said, nobody wants to know. But the doctor said it must be true. And this is what I was saying yesterday about the Bhagavatam. Right? Like somebody says from the Bhagavatam, uh, somebody else says it, it must be true. And that's the problem. And we've been trained to think like that. And the fact is, sorry, I don't know, what was your question? Oh yeah, God's everywhere. So like, you know, the seven, eight year olds asking the question, right? Like, so the Vedas talk about, the Bhagavatam talks about this so much. Like it's not a naive response. It's such a deep, profound, philosophical idea that there is oneness and there is difference. Okay, the sun ray is also the sun, okay? But you don't treat the sun ray like you treat the sun. The energy and the energetic are one and different. So Krishna has different manifestations, materially, and also manifest spiritually, like in his Paramatma vision, in atoms. Like why is the Bhagavatam talking about atoms? How do they know about atoms? How are they talking about atom, atomic time in the, the time it takes for the sun to pass over a molecule? How do they know that? That we don't want to know, but we want to ask that, you know that. This is not a naive philosophy. This is a, before we dismiss it, we have to understand what it's saying. Then, once you've understood what it's saying, then you want to reject it, that's your business, isn't it? But don't reject it just because we're carrying this baggage from centuries that is like, this is stupid, this is primitive, there's one God, monotheism, blah, 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 you can't worship, worship a river, you can't worship a plant, you can't worship a stone. Where is that got your society involved with your monotheism? Okay, atheism, monotheism. No, okay, we're gonna move on. Sorry, how are we doing for time? It's been a little show, man. It's my turn, right? Oh my god. No, no, Thank you. 
thing is, um, how, do we, how do we understand? Uh, what, did, what did you, so besides life is no meaning, what do you take from that? No, I mean, okay, let's try and be serious. What, uh, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you take from that? Or, or, or anything that um, was presented by Buddha yesterday. What, what, is, what is it that we capture from that? As soon as we capture it, it's over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So life is good. Voidism and impersonism. 
this idea of all these different philosophies which have been analyzed actually by the Goswamis for us, categorized under these two broad headings of voidism, which is basically saying there is nothing. There is nothing, stop thinking about it, don't worry, like, there is nothing. And impersonalism, which is, we're all God. Which leads to this kind of notion of like, I mean, um, and, and of, of, of so many philosophies and worldviews and values that come from them, which are, what they can lead to can be quite destructive. And, and again, going back to the point that this is what we're concerned about. And that's why when Srila Prabhupada, you know, when we, when we pray to Srila Prabhupada, we offer our respects to Srila Prabhupada every day, or like, you know, every time we offer obeisances, and we recite these things. Why? Because the world is full of these two things, either explicitly or implicitly. We may not be able to always see it until we become familiar with the philosophy, but that's what's underpinning so much of this. You know, what is the materialistic consumerism of the world about? You know, one of the slogans is, you only live once, isn't it? Famous slogan. You only live once. What is that? Life has no meaning. There's nothing going on here. Have a good time. Make the most of it. Just enjoy yourself. Now, what that ends up is, like we were talking about before, where goes morality? As soon as you come to this point, you only live once, have a good time, there's nothing else beyond this, where does that go? What does that tell people they can do and get away with? Basically, it's a free for it's a people, and that's where, that is where, and this is not theory, like so many substantial social, political movements have arisen from these philosophies and they've helped to destroy the world. This is not like, you know, I'm just like talking about some abstract thing. This is, this is, you look over the hundreds of years of centuries of stuff, these underlying currents of philosophy are, I mean, they are corroding the world with this toxic type of messaging. And Krishna consciousness is a stand against it. It's saying, actually, no. <laughs> we don't like the idea of voidism and uh, like no meaning. We like the idea of, and we'll come on to it in, I think hopefully in the last session about the notion of a personal God and the similar ethical implications of, the, of a personal God and how that's different. rationale to condone 
I needed to encourage behavior which is morally void. Because, you know, if you don't believe that I have free will, if you don't believe that I have a soul, if you don't believe that there is anything beyond this existence, if you only believe in a, in a strictly uh, um, survival of the fittest approach, which is a pervasive, a pervasive view, if you only believe in that, that can go to a dark place. That can go to a really dark place. You know, there's this, um, there's this quote, I forget where it was from, where it says that uh, Krishna is like the sun, Maya is darkness. No, no, that, that's there. But who said that where there's the absence of Krishna, there's darkness, and it has no end? That darkness has no end. Oh, okay, we did it. Like that's the that like it's strikes you like that darkness has no end because it's dark. There's no light. Where's the light coming from? You need some light. Once you get into complete darkness, that's a dark space. <laughs> right? And who knows the end of that? Okay, we're gonna go. Stats are wrong. So, like, the Middle East has a very, very, very low crime rate. But that's because they will kill you if you do something. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not messing with that. They'll your hands or your head. One or So, like, there's a, there's a, the, the, the fact that there's no low crime rates is not, that's not accurate. The fact that secular countries have, may have crime rates which are similar to uh, North America and, and, and England in terms of. Country, etc., etc., um, uh, ha has that. That's a fair point that they're similar. Um, but the fact is, you know, our argument would be where is that place which is actually a religious country? Like, you know, you can't like when you're talking about uh, not uh, even church attendance, right? I think church attendance is something like seven or eight percent, and it's never been higher than that. It's not like church attendance has gone down or something. It's always been there. Churches were built all over the world, not because they became empty, but because they built it hope, hoping people would come. We haven't got the example of that religious place, is what I'm saying. I mean, as science and history. Yeah, yourself. Uh, and then I'll continue. Um, in relation to the idea of love and happiness, we're in the past of this world, basically. I'm not sure, but there's no God. Yeah, very good. Good point. Yeah, so Buddhism is a voidist. Uh, philosophy and um, uh, they seem to be doing okay. Broadly speaking, is that your that's your point, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that's that's a that's a that's a fair point. So if you look at um, countries that have gone kind of east of India, which is where Buddhism was pushed um, as it came out of India, um, many of those countries. I mean, I don't know. I don't know their crime rates. I don't know their um, their stats to be able to. issue in terms of what's happened to those 
places and philosophies and what has, has become of them in terms of ethical practices. Um, it's interesting to see, you know, Buddhism came about to stop unnecessary animal slaughter. You know any vegetarian Buddhists? Like, I mean, Buddhism has become, like, there's, there's a lot that has moved away from what it, what it kind of originally set out to do. But it's true, like, Buddhism is generally speaking known or thought of as a peaceful religion. And it came and was born out of the, the kind of crucible of the pagan civilization. You know, it came, and, and that's why those religions that came out of the Vedic civilization, Jainism, Buddhism, they are typically, Sikhism is, is, is an exception because of the, well, it became, later became Kshatriya-like to, to, you know, to defend uh, the state, but they are generally speaking peaceful religions. Um, so, yeah, it's true. But I don't think that it contradicts the point that voidism in other places has the potential and has shown to be um, uh, a dangerous thing. But it's true, Buddhism is a good example of something where it has been applied and I don't know if many others can say, but I, I, I would agree with that. So I'm gonna go there and then I'll come here. Um, I understand how why we exist as plants, See, in this life, you know what it is. You have capacity, and like the question was asked earlier, we're in the human form. In the human form, we have discrimination, we have free, we have free will, expressible free will. In, in animals' forms of life, we don't. We're working just on instinct, and we're just working through karma. So it's not to say that our next life is going to be human. Like, there's no guarantee of that. And that's why we have to place emphasis on this life. And do what we can right now. Okay, you've got 90 seconds. <laughs> okay, so, um, so a figure like Socrates, who um, had that compassion of philosophy, but still appeals to like Vedic philosophy and even like Arkham Krishna and things like that. Um, Sorry, what did you say last about Krishna? He, he appeals to, like, he had like um, videos on like explaining like the pastimes of Krishna. Ah, uh, very, that. not necessarily accurate. Of course, of course. But why do you think? social media, off you go, and sell it cheap. There's no problem, right? If you say there are no rules, you do what you want, it's all good, that's my point. It's a very alluring argument. Here you can have spirituality without any of the, any of the strings attached. Do what you want. It's okay. You'll become God, you won't become God, it doesn't matter anyway. Like, there's no, and, and, and whilst he does appeal to the Vedic culture, he's also quite critical of it. I mean, I was in one of his talks where he spoke something which really hurt my ears. I mean, he said something to the effect of how could Sita have gone to the forest as a princess and walked without shoes? What woman would do that? I mean, like, you're talking about Sita Devi and like, what, I mean, <laughs> you know? Like, you're trying to say like, what woman would do that? Like, why wouldn't she do that? Like, we go to Vrindavan, we go without our shoes and we're walking around, right, 
I mean, like, we do that. You see that they can't do that? So that kind of stuff. Or like you said, somebody asked you a question, like, what you're saying, Sadhguru, is this, but that's not what Krishna says in Gita. And his, his response was, well, with all due respect to the, all the Jesuses and Krishnas and this and that who have come and gone, they have their view, but that's not necessarily has to be your view. Or my view. Like, you know, he's basically just quite dismissive about it. And I found that kind of like, last thing he said was, Mother Yashoda was in the Rasa dance. I mean, what are, you, what are you on? Like, I mean, like, where do you, where do you get off saying that? Where do you get off saying, you know, proper, I have to say this. Prabhupada had this amazing he said if you want to smoke ganja smoke it with your own hand don't take my hand and smoke it (laughs) it's like it's so brilliant it's like if you want to do some nonsense do it yourself why are you relying on Krishna like arguments why are you taking the Gita the Ramayana and Mahabharata to kind of excuse your philosophy you want to have your philosophy make your own philosophy now don't say that's what the Vedas says, because that's not what the Vedas says. It's about integrity. It's okay. I, I personally have no issue. Like, you know, you, people can say what they want to some extent, right? Like, you know, you want to attain this, you want to attain that, that's fine. But don't, don't try and base it on the Gita and the Bhagavatam when that's not what the scripture is saying. Just at least be honest. This is my view. Fine, it's your view. You know, go with the Bhagavatam. Okay, we're done for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we will come back to our last topic at some point. All right,